So um, I'm, not on, I'm not on Facebook or social media, so I don't really get to uh, share, you know, pictures of my kids and stuff like that. Uh, I also don't get to see all y'all's crap that y'all put online, which is healthy. But anyway, but I did want to share a picture of my, my oldest son up here, uh, Logan, and, um, and his wife, Madison. Uh, they've given me two great grandkids, uh, uh, two amazing grandkids. I'm not a great grandparent. <laughs> they give me two good grandkids. Um, but Logan, he's doing such a good job. He loves Jesus. Uh, him and Madison both, they have a great marriage, great family. And so for um, their anniversary, their anniversary, Logan rented a, a, a brand new Corvette. Uh, he said he did it for Madison. I don't know how that works. Um, <laughs> anyway, took her out to eat, and he got her a little secret. They had a, a photo shoot. He had a photo shoot all planned for her. to. And here's a picture of Madison, such a beautiful girl. She's a great, great mother, great, great mother. You know, when you're raising your kids, it, it, they don't know, they don't realize everything you did for them when they were children. They don't remember all the times you changed their diapers. They don't remember all the rebellious times and all the headaches and please God help me and the sick. They don't remember any of that stuff. They, they don't know what you went through as a parent until they have children. <laughs> the other day Logan sent me a picture of my grandson. <laughs> now you know, son. Now you know exactly what it was like. I said, Logan, I said, I said, what did you put up on the refrigerator that Leo wanted? He said, nothing. We just walk in the kitchen and find him climbing on the refrigerator like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I just love it. He just opens up the door, like gets and goes back through. He's such a, such a, I, I love giving him back to them. Um, okay, First uh, Thessalonians 2, 4. God has approved and accepted me. God has approved me. Jeremiah 29, 11, God has a great plan for my life. Nehemiah 8:10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Psalms 5:12, the Lord's favor surrounds me like a shield. Luke 4:18, the Lord has anointed me. I am anointed. God has a great plan for my life. And I will fulfill my destiny. Before you sit down, just fist bump the person next to you and say, I waited all week long to sit next to you. True story. I knew where you'd be. There's so many funny things I could say right now, but I'm not. You could look back at the person and say, I'm glad you put on deodorant. That'd be funny. <laughs> you can look back at them and say, are you single? No, don't say that. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Waited all week long. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our service is extremely, we're, we're very, very safe here. You never need to worry. You know, hear, the, hear about the shootings and all that stuff all around the world. Um, we have an incredible security team here, just so you know. Uh, they walk through the, uh, they're down the hallways now, watching out for the kids. They're at the other door, all the exits. Uh, we have sharpshooters in this room. Uh, great security, and for those of you that don't like guns, they do carry guns uh, because some people leave their cell phone on during church. <laughs> and we will taser your sorry butt if we hear your phone go off. And we'll just think it's the Holy Ghost when you're on the ground. <laughs> oh, Lord, bless them. Keep blessing them. You'll never turn your cell phone on again in church after that. 
We're in a series called Christians with Addictions. It comes from Psalm 51, and all the sermons of the series start with the letter R. Getting such good feedback from people out of state, you know, that watch. It's amazing uh, how many Christians didn't realize that Christians do struggle with addiction. Just because we're Christians don't mean we struggle with things like everybody else does, but it does mean we have help, and we have a Savior, and we have strength to get through it. So today, uh, all of them start with the letter R. You can see it right there. Today in part 11, I want to talk to you about this. Replant. Replant. A lot of us struggle with things in life today because we were raised in a certain environment, a certain negative environment, and as we get older, we think subconsciously that that was the norm, so we kind of go in that same direction. But I'm here to tell you today, it is not the norm to come home drunk every other night. That is not the norm. It is not the norm to have drugs in your home. That is not the norm. It's not the norm to cuss all through your house every other sentence. That is not the norm. It is not the norm to scream and yell at people in your family behind closed doors. That is not the norm. And your environment and the place that you surround yourself, that will determine your future. You can't just expect strife to be filled in your home and everything to be peaceful in life. You can't expect for all these negative things to happen around you, and you're choosing to put yourself in that atmosphere and think you're going to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, the Amplified, this is actually our school uh, motto verse in, in Faith First Academy. And as I was put, I said, God, give me another opening. I've used this scripture thousands of times, but you know, hearing the same scripture over and over is like going to the same restaurant and ordering the same thing. Because you know it's good, you keep ordering it, right? This is the filet mignon of Scripture right here. It says, blessed, happy, and prosperous is the man who. Now, I just want to stop and let you see that God has given us the avenue to be blessed, to be happy, which is an emotion we all want to experience, and to prosper in life. He's given us the avenue, and here's the avenue in which to do it. Who does not go with the ungodly nor stands inactive in the path of sinners, nor sits with those who have no use for God. And now, when it comes to sinners, people that don't know Jesus, our only goal when we're around them is to win them to Jesus. Our goal is not to sit there and have fun and relax in their presence. Our goal is to win them to Jesus. That's why we get around people who do not know the Lord, to build influence and to win them to God. Instead, he finds joy in God's Word. He habitually meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree that has been planted in the right place. Now, I just want you to see by this scripture, the problem would not be with the tree. The problem would be where the tree is planted. The tree has an incredible destiny. The tree is created to go big and strong and tall, but it's got to be planted in the right place for it to produce what God wants it to produce. Do you see that? Instead, he's like a tree planted by the water, producing fruit every month. Everything he does will prosper and succeed. So listen, you have the potential inside of you right now to prosper and succeed. You have, the poten- you have seeds of greatness on the inside by Almighty God for you to live blessed, happy, and a prosperous life. It's already in you. It's already taken care of. It's already there. You just have to plant yourself in the right place. And I'm hoping that 30 minutes from now, some of you are going to decide to uproot yourself from the wrong relationships and replant yourself around some right ones. Or uproot yourself from the wrong job. Just because you make a lot of money at that job doesn't mean that's where God's called you to be. God's responsible for the prosperity. You're responsible for planting yourself where God wants you to be. Do do, do you see that in the scripture? Um, All through the Bible, all through the Bible, God commanded people where to work, where to live, and where to worship. 
The people that obeyed that command, they prospered, even in the desert. How can God prosper me in the desert? If it's where he's called you, you better go, and he'll provide what you need. The people that did not go where God called them to live, to work, and to worship, they struggled their entire life, entire life. It's like taking a little baby oak tree, and you put that oak tree in a little pot. It will only grow uh, to the extent that the pot will allow it to grow. The problem is not with the oak tree. God already destined it for greatness. It is not the problem with the tree. The problem is the pot that the tree is in is too small. The soil around you determines what you grow into. Do not waste years of your life in the wrong relationship. Well, if, if, we've been friends since college, and if I stop talking to them, they're going to get offended. Let them get offended. What if they stop you from your destiny? You, there are some people in your life that are not able to go where God is calling you to go. Maybe one day they'll have the faith for it, but they don't right now. And you got to say, see you later, sayonara, or you're going to stay in that place the rest of your life. There, there, you, might have to, you might have to eat lunch by yourself sometimes instead of being with a popular group. If it means doing what God's called you to do and becoming what he's called you to become. Not everybody in your life wants to produce fruit right now. They just don't. Not every job is where God's going to provide for you. you got to go to the one where he has called you to go. Um, when I first got my first house, I was like 20 years old, and I was doing the landscape by myself. And um, I love gardenia bushes. It's my favorite flower, a gardenia, because the bush stays green all year, and the flower is this beautiful white that produces twice a year, this great smell. And so I got these dwarf gardenia bushes, and I was planting three of them in the front of my house, and I watered them, and I fertilized them, and I watched as they began to wither away. The flowers fell off. The green leaves turned brown. I thought, God, I prayed over it. I, I, did, I spoke in tongues. I did the Holy Ghost jig. I did everything I could. Nothing would happen. So I uprooted them, and I put them over on the other side of the house, and I watered them, and I gave them fertilizer just like I did before, and they completely prospered. They came back to life. They produced white flowers. It was so beautiful. 20 feet away. What was the difference? The soil and also the fact that on the side of the house there it got more sun and the little card on it said that gardenia bushes need between six to nine hours of sunlight. They were over in the shade area. Do you know you can be 20 feet away, 20 feet away, just new soil, new friends, new atmosphere, your whole life will change. Things that are dead will come back to life. Some of y'all, you need to get off the dead horse you're riding and kick it to the side and get on a new one. Or it's going to keep you. You don't want to stay where you're at forever, do you? Of course, of course you don't. The problem isn't the tree. The problem is where the tree's planted. So I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter P. And point number one for your notes is this. You have to replant yourself in the presence of God. I don't care what addiction. I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care if it's the worst drugs imaginable. I don't care what your problem. In spite of your problem, with your problem, you need to still go to the presence of God. Now, let me teach you about the presence of God. Psalms 26, 8 says this, Oh, Lord, I love your sanctuary, the place where your glorious presence shines. Um, it's saying that that's in the church. It's where his presence shines. Now, there's two main, there's several more, but there's two main theological terms for the presence of God. In English, the terms are, omnipresence of God and manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God means that God is everywhere. No matter where you go, he's there. Right, you're at the beach, he's there. You're in the strip club, he'll be there. He'll be trying to get you out of there is what he'll be doing. No matter where you go, you go to Aner, he, 
he's, he's practically everywhere, okay? He'll be everywhere. But the manifest presence of God is when God actually reveals himself and does something that only God can do. Now, you're not going to like this, but God won't speak to you anywhere. God won't provide for you anywhere. God won't give you strength anywhere. You got to get to where he's manifesting his presence and only doing what God can do. Yes, God is everywhere, but when he manifests himself, he only manifests himself in certain places at certain times, depending on if we've obeyed and gone where he's called us to go. Let me give you some scriptures. Psalms 139.7, the psalmist said, where can I hide from your presence? That's omni. He was saying, everywhere I go, you're there, God. No matter what I'm doing, good or bad, you're there. Whether I'm, I'm, I'm running away from you or I'm running toward you, you're always there. That's the omnipresence of God. But Exodus 33, 15, Moses said this. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't, don't, don't send us over there. Now, if God is everywhere, why would Moses be worried that God's not going to be at a certain place? He was talking about the manifestation of God. God, don't send me to the desert unless you're going to provide water from a rock because we're going to need water. Don't send me out of Egypt unless you're going to give us strength to defeat our enemies. Don't send us through the Red Sea unless you're going to supernaturally part it and get us through to the other side. God, don't, I don't want to go anywhere where your manifest presence is not. I want to make sure your manifestation is there. Do you understand the difference? Let me give you a little illustration to help you see. If I said, hey, today in our service, there is a multi-billionaire with a B visiting our church this morning. That multi-billionaire's presence is now known in this place. I told you that he or she, I'm not going to be sexist, I told you that he or she, the multi-billionaire, is here, and we'd all know that they are here in the room. But if that multi-billionaire stood up and said, I would like to donate a million dollars to the new building project, that multi-billionaire would be manifesting themselves by doing something that only a multi-billionaire could do. Do you get it? Let's just take a second and see if there's a multi-billionaire in our service. Okay, we shall continue. So, <laughs> where can we be surely to, where can we go that no matter what's going on in our life, we know that we know if we get to this place, God will manifest himself and do something that only God can do. Where can we go to find the manifestation of the Spirit of God. I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to the members of the body of Christ. The members, the members, those who have made a decision, they're going to be joined to the local body, to one message of wisdom, to another faith, to another healing, to another discernment, to another miracles, to another prophecy, to another speaking in tongues, to another interpretation. Now you are... The manifest body of would you like to see God and feel God and experience God? He's saying, here's where you go. God is placed in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, and guidance. Let me explain it to you. All by myself, I don't need a single one of you for God to manifest the spirit of teaching. I can do that all by myself. But if I need healing, if I need a word of wisdom... If I need a prophetic word, if I need some guidance and some spiritual advice, you know what I got to do? I got to go to the place where these people are at because God always uses people. God could part the Red Sea on his own. He wanted to use Moses. God could raise a child from the dead. He wanted to use Elisha. God loves using people. Here's what God did. The thing that you need from God, he's not going to give to you. He's going to give to somebody else. But you got to get in the place where those people have gathered together. 
Here's what's even more beautiful about that. The thing that I need, God gave to you. And the thing you need, God gave to me. So if you don't show up in this place, I'm going to hurt because I need what you have. And you're going to hurt because you need what I have. Isn't that such a beautiful thing that God did? He gave each one of us in this room a gift. And when we join the body of Christ and we make that decision, those gifts start to be used. And, and it affects, the, and we, we actually see and feel God in the room. You ever thought, God, I just want to experience you. Come to church. This is the body of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Can a Christian be a Christian without being a member of a church? In other words, can a Christian just kind of float around from church to church, attend here and there, but not really be joined? Before I answer that question, Ephesians 4.16 says, From Christ, the whole body, the church, and all its parts is closely joined and held together. 1 Corinthians 12.12, the body of Christ has many parts. All the members, they form that one body. So can somebody be a piece of the body without being connected to the rest of the body? Yes, they can, and I'm going to show you what it looks like. This is a dismembered body part. It's still a hand, is it not? It's just not connected to the rest of the body. So it will never experience the healing and the health and all that the rest. It, it, by itself it can be a hand, but what if it needs a foot? What if it needs a heart? What if it needs a liver? What if it needs a back? What if it, it has to be connected to the rest of the body to get what the body has for it? Do, do, you, do you see that? See, um, you're never going to be able to grow in forgiveness if you're not connected to a body in which people you love and you know and you believe the best in offend you. You know, my, one of my jobs that I do here because I love you is I help you learn how to forgive because I offend you all the time. How many of y'all have I've offended since you've been coming to Solid Rock? Everyone from up north can raise their hand. We know that. Northerners get over things really quick, though. You can offend a northerner 12 times, they'll cuss at you and be done. You offend a southerner one time, they'll remember it the rest of their life, you know. You'll never learn how to serve Jesus without being a member of a church. You know, Jesus never said, hey, if you love me, feed me. He said, if you love me, you feed my sheep. He never said, if you love me, wash my feet. He said, if you love me, wash another's feet. How can you do that if you're not connected to a feet? Do you see the beauty of it? Now, I will tell you this. One of my big problems in life is I always put my foot in my mouth. Y'all know that about me, right? I always say there. Like one time, it was, it was I think, of Teresa and um, Tim. Their family, this is recent, their family came to visit from up north. They said, oh, I want you to meet our family. And they said, oh, we watched you online. We, you know, we, we and so I, I went to greet one. I said, oh, you must be Teresa's mom. She said, I'm Teresa's younger sister. <laughs> That's my life story in a nutshell right there. But anyway, <laughs> the first time I used this prop, it was like 10 years ago. I saw it in a Halloween store. I thought, oh, that's so great. A piece of the body not connected to the body. And I was so excited. That Sunday, God's my witness, that Sunday, there was a visitor for the first time on the front row who just had their hand chopped off two weeks before, just got out of the hospital, and the review was not good on Google. That's the truth. I know, I know. I would have used a nose, but they didn't have those at the Halloween store. Jonah 1.3 says this, Jonah ran away from Tarshish to escape. Wait a minute, I thought God is everywhere. How can you run from God to escape the presence of the Lord and his duty as a prophet? You know what he's saying? He was escaping the manifestation of God. He didn't want to hear God. He didn't want to experience God. He wanted to away from it. That's what we do when we miss church. 
Do you know whenever you, you watch church online, which that is not church at all. There's nowhere in the Bible. That is not at all at all. I want you to watch online, but that is not church at all. You're actually running from God manifesting himself in your life. Amen. And you're running from God allowing him to manifest himself through your life to the rest of us here. Now, I'm going to tell you something, theologically speaking, just so you don't get confused. God will still manifest himself if you run away. He will. Um, has anyone in here ever gotten in a fight behind a seafood restaurant and been thrown into a dumpster? <laughs> Anybody at all? It doesn't smell good. And you end up not smelling good for weeks after that. Do you want God to get you to your destination on a cruise boat? or in the back of a dumpster behind a seafood restaurant. Because he'll manifest himself. He will, he will not stop working on you. The good work he started in you, he'll keep going until it's complete. You can run the other direction, but you'll be in a garbage dump. He'll get you to, he'll get you to uh, where did Jonah go to? Nineveh. He'll get you to Nineveh, but wouldn't you rather take a cruise boat there? Just come to church and be a part. I'll tell you a story. I'll get to my next point. But this young lady years ago, uh, I started pastoring, and I was a little storefront church in Socasty. And uh, she later gave this testimony. She said that um, uh, at the time that this occurred, a few months before, she was horribly, horribly raped, went through a horrible rape, and, um, and she, she quit her job, and she started getting into drugs really, really bad. And after that, she began to take razor blades and cut herself all along her thighs each night because she wanted to just feel something. She said after the rape and all her horrible childhood, all kind of stuff, she just was like a zombie, felt nothing, and she just wanted to feel. So she'd cut herself each night. Uh, the drugs continued, and one day she decided she was going to kill herself and just be done with life. She was driving by our little storefront church, and she felt something to say, uh, you need to go to church this Sunday uh, before you plan on killing yourself. You just need to go to church. She thought that was weird, but anyway, that Sunday she came, but she was too afraid to come inside the building. So she just parked outside, and she just sat there the whole time during service. And when church was over and she saw people leaving, she just, she just left. She said, okay, God, I, I can kill myself now. I, I went to church. God said, you didn't go to church. You just pulled up in the parking lot. So she waited a week. That next Sunday, she came in. She said that um, when she walked through the back doors, she felt such safety when she walked by the ushers that were there. She said up until that point, since the rape, Everywhere she went, she thought she was going to be attacked. She had this horrible fear, always looking around her. But she felt so safe when she came in the building. After that, she sat on the back row in our hospitality team. Uh, people that have a gift of encouragement and joy, they greeted her. She felt so loved. She felt so welcome. When the music started, the people who have the gift of worship, they sang, they led worship, and she cried the whole entire time. After that, I got up and I preached the best I could. She felt like God was speaking to her. It was a great, great day. She kept coming back to church week after week after week. She ended up joining the church. She started serving on our music team and playing congas, you know, with the band. She met a young guy. They fell in love, got married. They got pregnant, uh, but halfway through the pregnancy, something happened, and she, had to, she, she lost the baby. She had to go to the hospital and get a procedure. You know, joining a church and being a Christian does not mean that bad things won't happen, but it does mean when those things do happen, you have a family to help get you through and pray for you and be there with you. you know? When she was in the hospital, she said, um, something told her, these nurses are so good to me, I want to be a nurse. So when she got out of the hospital, she got a job at McDonald's, 
She started putting herself through college. We took up an offering for her in church to help pay for the first year. She got her associate in science at Tech. She kept on going to school. Today, she is a neonatal nurse practitioner at MUSC. Her and her husband have two children, one on earth, one in heaven. And she was so excited about what God did when she left Myrtle Beach, she got the solid rock tattooed, the logo tattooed on her foot. So she'd remember everywhere she went what God did for her. Here's my question. Why didn't God do that for her at Arby's? Why didn't he do those great things for her when she was at the mall shopping? How about when she's walking on the beach? How come God didn't heal her then? Speak to her, give her these ideas, this bright future. Why didn't God do those things at all those other places? Because she wasn't in the place where the manifestation of God always shows up. She wasn't around the right people in the right place where the presence of God is. That's why. Point number two for your notes, the people of God. Deuteronomy 34, 9 says, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses just simply touched him. You know, the reason we isolate ourselves when there's a pandemic is so we don't catch COVID, okay? You might not realize this, you can catch fear. Spirits are transferable. You can catch uh, stupidity. Trust me, you hang out with some of them long enough, you'll go down that path. You can catch depression. It's like that guy that was on the side of the Brooklyn Bridge about to jump and end his life, and this other guy walking by said, no, 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 don't jump, just tell me your problems. An hour later, they both jumped. You know what's so sad is there was this, this girl that was coming to church last year. I think she joined the church. She was serving a little bit. But she went to the mall, and she was talking to somebody in one of the booths at the mall. And the person she was talking to was not a Christian, does not serve Jesus, dresses like she's at 501 Walmart every other day. Social media is filled with pictures of her body. There's no sign of integrity in her life. But yet that person talked the young lady into leaving church and stopped coming to church. I thought, how can someone talk you into uprooting yourself where God's called you to be planted? You just got around the wrong people. We don't understand how powerful relationships actually are in our life. The children of Israel, they were camped right outside the promised land. Two million of them. And Moses being the high sea, detailed, organized leader that he is, he said, we're not going to go in right away. We're going to pick 12 men out of two million. Twelve are going to go in there and spy out everything, come back 40 days later and tell us what it's like so we can decide how we're going to attack the enemy. After 40 days, the 12 spies came back. Ten of them, the Bible says, brought back an evil report. In Numbers 14.3, it says this. They complained, saying, we're going to be killed in battle. Our wives and children are going to be captured. It'd be better to die in Egypt. Have you ever noticed how negative people always exaggerate everything? We're like grasshoppers compared to them. We're never going to make it. The atomic bomb's going to be blown up tomorrow. You know, we're going to lose. We're going to lose everything. If this person becomes president, my whole life is over. If this person becomes president, I'm going to be depressed for four years. Is it really that bad? Is it really that bad? Joshua and Caleb in verse nine said, "Don't rebel against the Lord. We're going to conquer them easily. The Lord is on our side." You know what I picture when I read this? I picture there being two tents. And one of them has these ten guys in it. And every night they get back from spying out the land. They're laying there in their beds. And one of them says, uh, what did you see out there? The other one says, man, I saw giants. Did you see them? Yeah, I saw those giants. Those guys are huge. But what do you think? Should we go after them? Man, I don't know. They were really, really big. 
you know, if we do go after them, we're probably going to lose. If we lose, our wives will be captured and our children are going to die. We should have just died in Egypt. And then Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, what did you see, man? I saw some big giants, but I can't help but think my God is so much bigger than they are. What do you think, man? I think that we're going to have victory. God's always told us we'd have victory if we just do what he says. You know what? God's never let us down before. He helped us defeat Pharaoh. He opened up the Red Sea. I think we should go in there tonight. Just me and you. We can take them all. You know, sometimes you've got to sacrifice the camaraderie of the popular group to be able to get into your promised land. Because God may not take, they may not be ready to go where God wants to take you. Do you see? There's a very interesting verse. In the middle of this whole story, God finally chimes in in verse 24 and says, My servants Joshua and Caleb have a different spirit. Now, let me tell you why this is so weird to me. They were all Christians. I mean, you know, Old Testament. They all heard the same thing from God. They all had the same income. They were all the same race. They were all from the same place. They all went to the same church. They all had the same leaders, pastors. Have you ever heard Numbers 13, 4 through 15? Have you ever heard of Shemaiah, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Seth? Have you ever heard of any of these people? Those are the ten spies. We never hear from them ever again. Their destiny ended the day they just simply brought back a negative report. That tells me the wrong Christian friend can keep you from your promised land. Just because they're Christians, or they say they are, doesn't mean they're for you. Doesn't mean they're, you ever heard the phrase, um, one bad apple spoils the bunch? That's not just an old wives' tale. It's actually true. Uh, one bad apple actually causes the other apples to spoil six times quicker. They rot six times quicker than normal. You know what doesn't happen? When you take the bad apple and you put it around the good ones, the good ones don't make the bad apple come back to life. Now, we think that's what happens, right? If I just date him long enough, I'll get him in church one day. If I just marry her, one day she'll get saved. If I just hang out with these friends long enough, after, after 300 years, I bet I'll be able to talk them into coming to church one time. Isn't that what we think? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled. Bad companions destroy and corrupt good character. It does not say good character brings up bad companions. It says bad companions destroy and corrupt good character. Do you know 10 negative men rotted the destiny of 2 million of God's children? Actually, that's not true. Um, 10 spies rotted the destiny of 1,900,900 and 98 Israelites because Joshua and Caleb still made it in. They were willing. They, they didn't have to hang out with everybody to get to where they wanted to go. They didn't care if they were with the popular group. They didn't care if people talked bad about them, made fun of them. You don't know what you're doing. No, I know what God has for me, and I'm going in that direction. You can stay here if you want to, but I'm still going in that direction. Last point. For, oh, no, no, I have a story. Uh, there was a little boy, Owen, four years old. True story. He had a rare muscular disease. He couldn't walk. He was in constant pain. Finally, at six years old, he told his parents, I never want to go outside again. I don't want friends. I don't want to leave the house. He was so embarrassed by his medical condition. A lot of times he was in a wheelchair, and he said that other kids would kind of look at him strange. 
when he was out of the wheelchair, he could barely walk, and it was just very difficult on him. His parents did everything they could to try to give him a, a normal life as much as possible. They ended up bringing in a tutor to teach him during the day, and a nurse and physical therapist came in two or three times a week, but he still refused to leave his home. He never wanted to leave. One day his mom saw an ad on Facebook for this, uh, this huge uh, rescue dog that someone could adopt. She called about the dog, and this big dog that was told that uh, these teenagers took the dog and they tied the dog to a railroad track to watch a train come by and kill the dog. Right at the last minute as the train was coming by, the dog managed to break loose of the ropes, but one of his uh, legs got cut off in the process. It was a huge three-legged dog. They decided to adopt the dog as a surprise for Owen. The day he saw that dog, his whole life changed. There was an instant connection. The dog ran right up to him, put his head on his wheelchair right there on his lap. Now, Owen could not wait to go outside and show all of his friends his big three-legged rescue dog. Here's a picture of Owen and his dog. He was so excited, he entered the dog into all these different dog show contests for, 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 for rescue dogs. It got first place over and over and over again. Here's the point I'm making. If God can bring a three-legged dog into a little boy's life to push him into his divine destiny, how much more can God bring the right people into your life if you will repot yourself in the right place? If you'll remove yourself around the wrong relationships. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend should sharpen you. They should encourage you. They should push you to Jesus. They should be excited about your dreams. That's what friends do. And if you don't have the right friends in this church, we have a church full of three-legged dogs. Bob's a three-legged dog. Trisha is definitely a three-legged dog. All through the church, we got three-legged dogs. We have people that would love to be your friend, that would love to encourage the dreams that God's put inside of your heart. If you're willing to be positive and keep going forward in Jesus, in spite of the addiction, in spite of the problem, we have people that would love to be your three-legged dog. Amen. Uh, sometimes our pot is just too small for our destiny. That's not a drug joke, by the way, either. I know we're talking about Christians with addictions. Some of you are like, yeah, it is. That was funny. I just now realized that. I could have reworded that so much differently. Here's our addiction sermon. Sometimes your pot's too small. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, point number three. <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe I didn't think that through clearly. Sometimes our environment is too small for our destiny. Point number three, the provision. Thank you. Thank you. Number three, the provision of God. Now, listen, contrary to popular belief, listen to me. God will not provide for you anywhere. God will not provide for you anywhere you go. Uh, 1 Kings 17 verse 3, God told Elijah, go to the brook. I've commanded the ravens to bring you food there. You know there was a famine? Nobody's getting food. Nobody's definitely getting meat. God provided meat for Elijah in a famine? Here's what he had to do. He had to go to the brook. Well, I don't like that brook. Uh, I, I, I don't like the music they play at that brook. I like that other brook where they play the old music. I don't like that brook, God. Uh, I don't like the, the pastor offends me all the time at that brook, God. I don't like that brook. He's easy on the eyes, but he's very offensive, God. I don't like that. <laughs> Verse 7, the brook dried up after a few years. and The Lord said, go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Well, hold on, God. I'm comfortable at this brook. 
I've been here for years. I don't want to go to Zarephath. I would hate to believe to know that God is providing wisdom and encouragement and friendship and healing and all these supernatural things over here. The problem is I'm not over here. I'm over there doing my own thing. God is still providing. He's, you're just not at the right place. Do you see? God is, he will provide all of your needs over here. Um, when Jesus rose from the dead, he told 500 people, go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.15, only 120 showed up. 500 could have been blessed, 120. Only, uh, that, that means that 300 and... Oh, man, I should have thought this through. 380 decided to sleep in. 380 were, they were out late the night before and just couldn't get their alarm to work. This doesn't mean that life's going to be easy for you. It just means God will provide. When you're, he'll provide in the desert. It's not easy in the desert, but I'd rather be in a hard place where God's providing than an easy place where God's not providing, and it's all me. You, you, you believe that as well. Do you receive that? Um, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament in a prison cell the size of a stall of a bathroom. And commentaries tell us that's where the raw sewage of that day went right through. He's standing in raw sewage in prison, Philippians 4.13, and he wrote these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God can give you the strength to get through something like that if you're in the right place. Amen. Um, I'll tell you a story and then I'll let you go. So when I started pastoring, I, I started the library because there was like a conference room that was free. You know, I'm, I'm very... Thrifty, and so we started there, and then the church, we got about 20 people or something. Then we got a storefront building and um, another storefront. After years, uh, we were tired of paying rent, and we wanted to build our own building and have our own property somewhere. And so I did some research, and I prayed, and I found these two acres in, in the boonies. I mean, it's in Socasty down one dirt road and then another dirt road, and then you see these two acres of land. And... Um, you know, I, I, I said, okay, I prayed about it, and I stood in front of the church. You know, there's maybe 50 to 70 people. And I said, I heard from God. I'm the pastor. That's my job is to hear from God for the church. And we're supposed to take all the money in our bank that we've saved up for years and buy these two acres. And the goal was never to have a big church, just one a little family church, you know, just something that was our own. And so for $160,000, we bought two acres out in the woods, down a dirt road, down another dirt road, and we were really excited finally paid it off. When we bought it, it was zoned for mobile home use only, but I had to go down to the county in, in Conway and get it rezoned for religious purposes so we could build a church. And they granted the request. It was very easy. I just walked in. It was kind of intimidating in a courtroom, but they say, who's representing Solid Rock? It's me, John Paul. You're requesting that we change it from mobile home to religious. I am. Anyone object? Nobody object? Okay. I found out, though, you have to go and do that every year until you build on the property or else it gets back to rezone the way it was before. So a year went by and we were going to start getting some little plans together, just kind of get excited about it. Um, we used all the money in the church that we had to buy it, all the money we saved up for years. And I went back, it was a Monday night, not the same thing, I stood in front of this council group and representing Solid Rock, we want the property changed from mobile home to religious. They said, okay, does anybody object? Well, this time I turned around and there were about 30 to 35 people who stood up and objected it. I thought, what's going on? There was a lady whose house was next to that property, and she had talked all the neighbors around that area into showing up that night with all these letters they were going to read behind the microphone on why they don't want a church in that area. 
They don't want traffic. They don't want cars coming through. They don't want paved roads. They want to leave it country. And I sat there in the front row. I was 30-something years old. And I just sobbed my eyes out, feeling like the world's biggest loser. Because I just told these church people who trust me as their pastor, this is what we're supposed to spend our money on, and this is what God wants us to do. And one by one, they came up and said, well, they don't want a church. At the very end of it, the council looked at me and said, I'm sorry, we're denying your request. It will only be used for mobile home purposes. You talk about not wanting to ever see anybody in my church ever again. I was trying to find tickets to Hawaii or Bermuda. I'm getting out of here. I'm not showing up next Sunday morning like this. That was a Monday night. I left Conway, and uh, the Sunday before, the day before, I preached a sermon on praising God in difficult times. So I thought, okay, I'll do what the Bible says. And so on my way home, I'm like, oh, Lord, I praise you. I love you. You're so good to me. God, why? Why? I praise you, you know. Just bawling my eyes out, singing my old songs, just praising God. I did not feel better at all. It didn't help my feelings. I did what the Bible said. The very next day was a Tuesday. The owner of this property here I had not talked to in six years. No communication. That Tuesday morning, he called me up. He said, listen, I know that your church is growing. You need some property. I'll sell you that property, that old Air Force Base chapel down at Market Common. I'll sell it to you for $550,000. I'll finance the whole thing for five years without any interest. But you have to give me $50,000 down this Monday. Or else I'm selling it to someone else who already has the money ready. I went to church that Sunday. I said, hey, y'all, I got good news and bad news. Bad news is we lost everything. 160000 is gone. Two acres is sitting there in the woods only for mobile home purposes. I said, the good news is, I said, I got a call from that place where they're building up Market Common and stuff, you know. They just called it Market Common. There's an old chapel there. And we could buy it for this amount of money, but we need $50,000. That Sunday morning, $54,000 was given in a little teeny church filled with people. The next day, we signed papers on this place, but as we walked through, we realized we can't use this building. There was no roof. There was no electricity. Plumbing was messed up. Walls were messed up. I mean, it was disgusting. There were animals living all through the building, raccoons, skunks, squirrels, all through this place. The, the landscape on the outside, nothing had been touched in years. It was a horrible shape. Now, I don't know if this next part was Jesus or not. I'll let you judge, and just don't tell me what your judgment is. Just keep it to yourself. Somehow, I had the idea of drawing up civil plans on my own. I'm not a civil engineer. That showed we were going to put 40 mobile homes on those two acres. I went to the lady's house who had lined up all the people to, you know, convince them not to let us put a church there because they didn't want any traffic. I went to her house. I said, hey, no hard feelings. We love y'all. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Um, I just wanted to share with you what we're going to do. We have decided that we're going to put 40 mobile homes on those two acres. No big deal. Let's just, no, we're just trying. You're going to do what? Nothing. We just heard from the Lord, and we thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. We think that the Lord... Would like us to, you know, make our money back. 40 mobile homes, maybe 45, depending on how many we can get in there. She looked at me and she said, how much do you want for that property? I was about to say 160000 and then out of her mouth she said, I'll give you $180,000. That day she wrote me a check right out of her bank account right there. I won't tell you what I did after the money was finally deposited and we had it. 
but praise the Lord. And um, <laughs> thank you for your mercy and your grace in our life. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we used that $180,000, and we renovated this place inside and out. And today, this property is worth $2 million. And we're going to use the $2 million. Then we're going to sell it to a church, of course, with the money we already have and build our nine-acre campus out there in the bypass. You know, here's the point, though. I wasn't a perfect pastor. I made so many mistakes you can't even imagine. Nobody taught me what. I didn't know anything. You don't have to live a perfect life. You don't have to do everything right. You just have to be in the place God's called you to be with the people God's called you to be, and he will always provide for you. Amen. My encouragement is... Replant yourself in places like that, and you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life. Amen. Amen? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We want to take just a few minutes for God to speak to you directly, one-on-one. -on -one. I know it may be tough to marginalize people that you've been in relationship with for a long time. But if you could see where God wants to take you and what he wants to do in your life, it would be much easier. So I want God to just right now, just for some of you, I want God to give a vision on the inside of you of where he wants to take you, of the tree that he's called you to become, the fruit that he's called you to produce. Maybe you've been running from the presence of God for a long time. A church hurt you or somebody did you wrong or you feel like after you get through, after you get rid of these addictions, then, then you'll run toward God. No, 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 no. God wants you just like you are. He can manifest his greatness through people that are not great. He can manifest his healing power through people that have sickness in their life. He can manifest his words of wisdom through people who don't have a lot of knowledge. He loves to use imperfect people. If you're here today and you know there's some area of your life that God wants you to uproot yourself and replant yourself in a better environment, better people, better place, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you real quick? For 30 seconds, Lord Jesus, I pray right now, I pray right now that you, God, get out those pruning shears and you just cut us back away from the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong environments, God. And I ask that you go ahead and prepare the soil for our lives. Go ahead and have the hole ready for us to put ourselves in, Lord Jesus. The water, the sun, get it all ready because we are prepared to go where you've called us to go. We recognize that we might have to go on some Jesus dates all by ourselves for a while. We might not be the popular one at work. We might have to sit by ourselves at lunchtime at school. But it's worth it to become who you've called us to become. Amen. God, thank you for manifesting yourself through each one of us in this place as we gather together as a church family. Thank you for each specific gift that each individual person has. And Lord, as we grow as a church body, I ask that you just do more and more things through each one of us. 
Thank you for providing the right friends. Thank you for providing the right job. Thank you for providing the right church. And thank you, God, for doing what we know only you can do in our lives. We trust you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.